episodes of the lecture you're about to hear is Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Psychology, taught by me, Dr. Dave Broadback, here at Algoma University in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Uh, this is for the fall term in 2022. I had to think about that. I just recorded this intro and said 2023, which is wrong. And then I dropped an F-bomb and uh, probably not the best thing to do to start. Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoy it. hope you get something out of it. And if you don't, well, that's on you completely. A kid. But it really All right, so, um, a couple things before we get going. Uh, There's a test coming soon, okay? And also, uh, remember to get your ideas for your final project approved. Uh, I've got to talk to a couple of you. I've talked to somebody else today. So just get your topic approved, and then you can get on it. Start working on uh, presentations, which start up in like two weeks. So you might want to get on that, I'm just saying. Okay. Lots of space for presentations, lots of slots. Uh, you can talk for up to 10 minutes. No problem because we've got lots of space. Okay. Uh, nice to see that 40% of the students showed up today. There's 21 people. Oh well. Anyway. So uh, today we're talking about disorders. Um, this is probably the, at least to me, the, when I first learned about the first time I took a course, well, I course in evolutionary psychology. When was that? 1987, so a while ago. And it, basically what was said was, yeah, we're we not there yet. And you'll see that a lot of this stuff, this is extremely speculative. Now a lot of this stuff has to be speculative because it's from, we're, we're making you know, educated guesses about a long time ago. <laughs> so you know, we can't, we have time machines, so without time machines we can't figure that out. Once I get my time machine perfected, it'll be easy, but I have said too much. So this always struck me and everybody else in the area as something that maybe we could, this is maybe stretching the limits of what evolution, evolutionary explanations can do. Let's just see how it goes today and see how you think about it. There's a couple of great papers that I've thrown in there uh, in, the, in, the, in the LMS. Take a look at those as well. Um, so, we're going to try to explain disorders, and we're going to try to understand them. This doesn't tell us a lot, probably, about therapy for disorders. This isn't going to tell us that. This is going to tell us where they come from. And then, in that case, you, you can lead the treatment, but that's not necessarily our goal. So we can do this, but this is extremely speculative. So I want to make that entirely clear. Unlike a lot of other things, we're going to talk about mating, I think, next week, and that's probably the best. Mating and cognition are probably the best places about for evolutionary explanations. But this is, this is not as bad as it used to be, which is, sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise. So this doesn't make these things any less problematic. Disorders are problems. Right? And I think I've mentioned before, I don't not much on the, the distinction that's often made between health, uh, sort of physical and mental health. I, I don't think that's really fair. Um, 
part of the you know stigma that it gets attached to mental health issues is that we don't view them as the same as quote physical health issues. I mean, of course they're physical. Where does it come from? Your brain. Last I looked, that was part of my body. So I think if we started just talking about health, might be in better place. Um, so again, we're going to talk about some stuff and try to understand where they come from. It doesn't make them any less problematic or any less of being disorders. It just means we can help understand it. And this work is still really in its infancy, maybe toddler rather than infancy now, but I, I still, if I'm going to be conservative about this, and the only thing I'm conservative about is my conclusions in science, eh, it's probably a good idea to be conservative. So, how are we going to attack this? And I'm going to, of course, just touch on a few different disorders today. But some disorders may be defenses against some thing. So they may have adaptive value in, def in, in, in protecting the person with the disorder. Some of these things can be side effects of fitness enhancing genes or fitness enhancing characteristics. So there's side effects. They aren't. And a side effect and main effect are things you hear about in, well, some of you left and did take Neurofarm with me. Um, that's all in the eye of the beholder, right? It's a side effect if you were looking for the main effect, right? So something's a side effect, uh, you know, if you're taking morphine and if you're taking morphine for pain, the side effect is being high. If you're taking it for, for, for fun, the side effect is the painkiller. So it's all in the matter of the beholder sort of thing. So these can be quote, quote side effects of what are fitness enhancing characteristics or genes. We could have frequency dependent selection. I'm gonna make the argument today that things like psychopathy are quite conceivably frequency dependent selection at work. It only works as a good strategy for the person, who, for, for the psychopath. If there are a lot of psychopaths, it's not going to work very well if we're all psychopaths. So it's frequency dependent. Remember I talked about the idea. My favorite example for frequency dependent selection is male fish who mimic females. That only works if there's very few of them doing that to trick the females. It doesn't work if everybody's tricking the females into mating with them because frankly then it wouldn't exist. It would be selected against, right? So it could be frequency dependent selection. It could be absence or malfunctioning of a module. We've talked a lot about modularity, the idea that the mind has separate, I don't know, let's call them cognitive organs. They don't have to necessarily be isolated in a single place in the brain either. These can be patterns of activation, that kind of thing. But we can think of them like organs. Conceptually, they aren't necessarily all in one place anatomically, except the head, but that's kind of a little generic. Okay, so it can be the absence or malfunctioning of a module. And there's a, it can also just be a big disconnect between what was adaptive in the EEA and what is adaptive now. Now that's been a running theme in class, I think that a lot of our behavior, because and I keep saying this, we're civilized people with Stone Age brains. So what worked on the savannah 
200,000 years ago, doesn't work now as well. A lot of things do, by the way, we're all still here. <laughs> so, but some things don't work as well. So it could be a disconnect. I think probably most likely, most of the time, we have an extreme of a polygenetic trait. A polygenetic trait is just some trait that has many genes that affect it. And we think of most cognitive and behavioral things in really almost any animal, it's the case that these things are polygenetic. It's not like there is a, an aggression gene or a, an intelligence gene or a nurturing gene. Those things are polygenetic, many genes. And if you're talking about many genes, you're gonna, there's going to be extremes, right? So, so if we've got some characteristic that looks like this, not the genes, but the characteristic, like a normal distribution, like things tend to look. If there's, if there's variation, it tends to be look like that. It doesn't just tend to be this and this. There's going to be extremes. They're very rare, but they're extremes. Okay? So they can be extremes of a polygenetic trait. And let's think about this for a sec. Instead of using uh, psychological, let's think of a physical characteristic. Let's think of something that's clearly polygenetic. How fast you can run. Most of us live here, right? Somewhere in here. Some of us are extremely slow, and I don't mean you're slow because you know maybe you're disabled or something. I just mean you just run slow. And some of us are named Usain Bolt, right? Or uh, Neil deGrasse. So these guys are just running like the wind. There's some of them, but most of us live here. And those are, you know, the ability to sprint is obviously not a single sprinting gene. It's got to be many things, and it's obviously also affected the environment. And by the way, these can all be true, or some of them can be true for different disorders we're going to talk about today. I'm gesturing more today. I don't know why. No, nothing. Caught in a glass box. I'd like to think of mine and actually put the mind in a glass box. You see, I bet they'd yell pretty quickly. They'd start talking. Okay. So what I'm going to do is just go through a bunch of examples. And let's start with, well, none of these are happy examples, by the way. These are about disorders. So let's talk about traumatic stress disorder, which was a, geez, it had all kinds of names over the years. Uh, it's been called cowardice. <laughs> it used to be called lack of moral fiber. Literally, would say LMF on a diagnosis for somebody in, say, World War I, when they just couldn't fight anymore. Then it got called shell shock. They changed it. Then it got called battle fatigue. That's World War II. And then we started calling it post-traumatic stress disorder out of Vietnam. And I think we all know what PTSD is. But it's got an interesting history, and you should note there that at the beginning, that sounds completely like it's the fault of the soldier, and then later it becomes not. It, when it's originally called cowardice, and then lack of moral fiber, what are those that say, you're a bad person? On the other hand, now we say this, and we, it's clearly disorder, which is obviously a better way to think of it. This should be more common in human-made situations. When I say man-made there, I mean man is all mankind kind of thing. Human analysis and Maybe we should change that right now. I'm going to edit on the fly. It should be more common in human. 
Um, this is more commonly caused not in natural disaster type situations. It doesn't happen? Yes, of course. But this is the idea of the disconnect between what we evolved in and the world we live in. So there's always been warfare, and I would submit to you there likely always will be. I would submit to you there will always be warfare. And there always has been, and our closest relatives, the chimps, are also bastards and fight wars, basically. So we can try to stop it, which we should, but the point is, it's been around forever. So you might think, well, there's always been warfare, Dave. Why would there be post-traumatic stress disorder? Why would that be more common now? There's a couple things. First of all, they probably didn't describe this as a disorder, and I just told you they didn't. They used to call it cowardice. Right? So it's been around. But the type of weapons we have today are nothing compared to the type of things we evolved with. We evolved with stones and sticks. Right? And sticks and stones can break your bones and kill you. And then eventually, you know, spears and such. But thinking about our evolutionary history, this is mostly clubs, rocks, and fists, right? Until extremely recently evolutionarily, let's say, when the, when the Bronze Age started. So thousands of years ago, but still, we've got millions in the tank. The, the destruction that can be wrought nowadays is so much larger than the destruction that could have been seen in a sort of battlefield in the EEM. So the notion is, that we get more PTSD today because we are, there are situations, or we get PTSD today. Because a lot of times it's in situations, they're in human interactions, in other words, warfare, that we can't have evolved. For example, uh, do I want to give you examples here? Yeah, I guess I do. These are going to be unpleasant. Worst word. So a bunch of people coming at you, if you're with sticks and stones, is scary, I'm sure. I'm sure that's very scary. It never happened to me, but I'm sure it's extremely frightening. But that's been around for a long time. 100,000, 200,000 years. The ability for a plane to drop a thing that vaporizes a whole bunch of people around you, that's pretty new. The idea of weapons that can mow down hundreds of people at once, that's pretty new, right? So we hear of reports of people with a thing we call PTSD in all kinds of things in the history of warfare. But the amount of it we hear about now is much higher. Now, that is almost certainly partially because people are not as afraid to admit it now because they're not called cowards anymore. The diagnosis says, well, he's a coward. This, this young man cannot fight for the king. I don't know what accent I was doing there. Something British, vaguely British. 
And the stuff we have today is so much more destructive than anything we've seen in the past. Now, obviously, I'm just looking at this from a warfare angle. I'm not looking at this from, there's other cases where you can get PTSD and you'll know. So that one, I'm not entirely comfortable with this. Like, I don't think it's a great explanation, but it does make some sense to me, right? Any thoughts about this? Like I said, people haven't been fighting for a long time. They just haven't been fighting with the, you know. All right. Oh, good, another happy topic, depression. This is pretty well thought out. So I, I like this argument probably the best of all of them. Yeah, it's one of the best anyway. And you know what depression is, it isn't just feeling down, it's feeling blank. It's blank out of that, it's nothing. It's sadness, but it's not just that, it's also a lack of motivation, etc. And the length and severity of these things are key. So in fact, when we do a diagnosis, you pathology? Because I have it since 1987. Okay, good. How long does it have to last a sort of depressive episode before we call it something clinical, clinically important? It's two weeks. It's something like that. It's, it's measured in weeks. It's some thing, you know? Like when my dad died, my mom said to me that she was horrible and depressed. And I don't feel like getting out of bed. And I said, Mom, that's called being normal. <laughs> you know, it's, Dad died. You've been together since you were 13 and 15. That's going to affect you. It's if it affects you for months at a time. If you literally can't get out of bed. So we, we know there's a normal reaction to bad life events. In fact, it would be really weird if my mom was like, oh yeah, everything's fine. That's right out there. That'd be weird, right? And that would be a disorder probably as well. So length and severity are the key things here when we're trying to diagnose this. And we say, oh, you can have depression. So it's feelings of worthlessness and a lack of motivation. But they have to last for a certain number of weeks, according to the APA. Not our APA, the psychiatric APA. They're two different APAs. You know that, right? American Psychological Association is the way we reference things. The American Psychiatric Association makes the name DSA. Okay, so let's look at these, these kind of characteristics here and think to ourselves, can these be adaptive things? Okay, Nessa, and I think I have a paper from Nessa. Uh, I think that's one of the papers I put in the LMS. Nessa's idea is the idea of a, is that depression is a way of telling us we're doing something wrong. Now, this is one of those cases where I have to take a step, step back and remind you that we are describing something. We are not putting value on it. Because you can read that as, this is your fault, and that's not what it's saying, and that's not what it's necessary. So I'm not saying that if you've been depressed, or you are in your depression medication or whatever, that it's your fault. It's, that's as much your fault as, I don't know, Cancer is your fault. Any disorder, any disease, they're your fault. So, it's kind of our brain's way of maybe of telling us we're doing something wrong. So if you do something that's sort of maladaptive and you don't get something good out of it, and you get something bad out of it, maybe withdraw and don't do that behavior anymore 
And as a, on a small level, that sounds great. Oh, I did the thing, that thing made me sad, I won't do the thing anymore. And I think we all operate like that, don't we? That's called instrumental conditioning. We, we operate like that. However, if it goes, if your cognition is a little bit too, you know, if you take it sort of too far, and again, this is against, you know, this isn't a willful thing. And you think to yourself, and this is conscious, obviously. I should withdraw from everything. Not just I should just not do that thing. Then it can become maladaptive. So in other words, don't expend resources. This all sounds very cold and calculating. Don't expend resources on behavior that doesn't work. Okay, like my father again used to say, I keep cutting this piece of wood and cutting it, and it's still too short. Yeah, like it's stop doing that thing. And that's actually a good piece of advice in general for your life, right? If that doesn't work, don't do it anymore. Okay. So I think you can see the adaptiveness of that kind of strategy here. I think you can see that we would have evolved to have a mechanism where we withdrew from something if things weren't turning out properly. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah? The problem is taking it too far. And again, this is not the fault of the person. You have to separate those things. Yeah. So, see, in my head, that, that makes more sense in, like, honestly, in the modern world, because uh, as humans, we have more choices yes. compared to the EEA. Oh, that's almost certainly true, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I don't know, I'm having no, a tough go with time this. I, I like it. Keep going. I'm having a tough time understanding how that would evolve during the time like that. I see. When, you know, the choices were limited. Your choices, yeah, sure. Your choices are limited. I think you're right compared to today. Yeah. That's almost certainly true. Um, don't go over there. You will die. Okay. Um, don't challenge. Okay, let's say we're a big, let's pretend we're a big family group in the EEA. We're just dressing too well for it, but whatever. And you're the, you're like the head guy, and I challenge you to a fight and you kick the crap out of me. I'm not gonna challenge you. It's a very adaptive thing for me to go, I think I'll just be over here quietly eating my grubs. They're delicious, and I won't get the shit kicked out of me. So, you're right, there's fewer choices, but I think there are going to be a lot more, if, there's few, if there are fewer choices, they are going to be more, Consequential? Okay. I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. There's so many disconnects between now and like the EEA and now. There were no nobody had a job. Like it just wasn't. Like jobs are weird. For example, like that's just something that didn't exist until a few thousand years ago. People just lived. You know, when you see a, a, a bunch of uh, chimps living together, the, the big tribe, what's a chimp? You know what a bunch of chimps is called? A committee. I you not. Know, you see a committee of chimps, which is perfect, believe me, I'm on a couple of committees. There isn't one that's like, well, yeah, uh, I gotta go do the, I gotta, I gotta clean up. I'm gonna clean up our area here. You do the cooking, but whatever. So there are fewer choices, but there are choices, and they can be kind of stark, I think. That's just a guess, though. 
The big thing is you have to bounce back from it, right? You can't just withdraw and just not. And that's what we know about depression, the modern uh, idea, right? The idea of after a few weeks, my mom got back on with her life. I don't think she's not happy about anything, but she got about you know the situation. She got on with her life. But was your mom actually depressed? No, I wouldn't say that. Like, I get it. Oh no, depression isn't adaptive. Oh, Part of it is. Okay, it's too much of, a, of what we would perhaps call a good thing, something that is adaptive. It's a good thing to withdraw when things have turned out very poorly. Yeah, but that's the issue with depression is that you withdraw and it's really hard to get back. Long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have to bounce back. That's the okay. key thing. Okay, I get Right, it. so if you have a bad breakup or something, you have to. You're gonna have a few weeks of going, oh God, my life has no meaning and I long for the release that death will bring. You start thinking things like that. And after a couple of weeks, you're like, no, I'm okay. I can get through this. And some of us have to go to therapy, take medication, whatever, and that, those are all perfectly valid and good things. It's normal, and in fact, psych we, would, we would say there'd be something wrong with you, probably. We'd say there's a psychological issue there if you didn't have a bad reaction to a spouse dying or a friend or something. It's when it then lasts a year that's a problem. So yeah, you're right. You're right. You, know, you understand it perfectly. So this is the idea of the depression threshold. So when you lose, and losing here is, is we're thinking of this in terms of like evolutionary sort of game theory. So the idea here is that there's payoff, and that payoff is in fitness. Okay, fitness just means reproductive success. And you lose when you. Um, when you lose, you feel bad. So you withdraw and don't do that thing that helped you lose, made you lose. So you slow down. We do this, I mean, I, I remember being an undergrad, taking tests and being a graduate student taking tests. We've all written the bad test, the bad paper. And when you get it back, you think, well, this obviously isn't for me. I will change my major. <laughs> you go home, you cry, right? I almost changed my major to political science in third year because I got a 60 on an essay. And then I thought, wait a sec, Dave. <laughs> it's not that big a deal, right? But yeah, I didn't work hard for a couple days. But then I don't know to do that, and you work, it bounced back. So what you do is you slow down, and you come back is the hope, right? But once you hit a certain threshold, you withdraw. And then hopefully you come back. Some people might have what Nessa calls a lower depression threshold. So how much do you have to lose? And again, this is in quotes, and we aren't calling people losers. We're thinking of it as a in terms of there's payoffs and it's like a game and a payoff is fitness, right? Is that like double depression? Like if someone's baseline is here yeah. and then like you can have double depression and your baseline is just a bit lower than the typical human? Well, yeah, somebody who's got a, whose depression threshold is low is more likely to become depressed. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. Never, never be sorry for talking. Unless it's during the test. That would be weird. I just talk to myself when I was writing tests. Anybody else do that? Talk to yourself? I mean, like you move your lips and you quiet. Me? Yeah. 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 Y
You do that too? Okay. Yeah, okay, good. So some, no, I'm not the only one. That's good. Because I never really think I was, I was running a, a calculus midterm in first year. You're saying, why did you take calculus? Because I'm an idiot. There was a, a surgeon to do, a lot of schools actually, to do the stats portion of any degree. You have to do a first year math course. And they had a course. Linear algebra for non-math majors. Literally said right there. I took calculus for math majors. Because I'm an idiot. But I was sitting there writing a test. And I take breaks. Did, did anybody else, did you also take breaks when you write tests? Just I'm going to take a break for five minutes, collect my thoughts. Please don't watch the walls sometimes. <laughs> but I do that. I can do this. You know, crack my neck, look around. And of course, to the person, the TA, look like I'm cheating, doesn't it? So what I did, so the TA comes over. And he stands beside me. So I just took up my wallet and put my CNIB card down like that. Want to do it? It's like, I'm blind, buddy. I didn't say that, I just pointed to it. And he's like, and I'm like, dude, you didn't make me blind. But I literally can't see the other guy's page. So don't worry. The story of me taking a calculus exam. That's the course that I eventually, in March, just got up and the prof said, Mr. Broadbeck, where are you going? We know all our names, 200 people in the class. I said, sir, I don't understand this. It's not your fault. <laughs> but I'm wasting your time and you're wasting mine. And he said, so where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to the student club to have a couple of beers. And he said, well, good luck. <laughs> I did okay in the class, but the last two months, I had no idea what was going on. I tried, too. I like, and I'm like, yeah, 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 no, nothing. You lost me. I don't know how that happened. Anyway. But I didn't have a so low a depression threshold that I stopped, that, that I was remember. I just stopped going to count it. And happily, the final was only worth 25%, and I'd done really well in the rest of the course, so I did okay. And then there. It's funny, some people maybe don't have a depression threshold. Some people have a threshold. Yeah, some people must have a depression threshold then that is too high. They never get depressed or sad. That doesn't look that alike. Right? So that'd be something cool to look at. Okay, the question then is, is this a good explanation for depression? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, depressed people tend to be more accurate about how the world works than non-depressed people. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you ask them, how much of X, Y, or Z is due to your behavior and how much is due to the outside world? They're probably a little more accurate than depressed than non-depressed people. Most of us do this self-serving bias thing, which keeps us, you know, moving and going. Now, usually when you do poorly on something, you don't think, oh, I can't do this at all. You think, well, next time. And sometimes it's probably sensible to think, I can't do this, <laughs> but we keep trying. Right? So they're more accurate about certain things about the, the locus of control, about how much they actually affect things than 
the average person really is. Um, there's also seasonal affective disorder, which is coming soon to a, to a part of the world near you where there isn't enough sunlight. And we withdraw because like dark cycle, when it gets dark, we sleep more, we withdraw more. There isn't seasonal affective disorder we're here from, right? You don't hear a lot of, because those days aren't suddenly six hours long, right? There's seasonal affective disorder in places like, well, here, we'll the north in this. Sure, Northern Europe. Where did we evolve again? Oh, right, closer to where you're from than where we're from. Nigeria, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's from Nigeria. Just letting you all know, but that's why I picked, picked her up. Because it's closer to where humans started than the rest of us. Makes sense. And the cool thing is, sad can be treated with a full spectrum light. So we actually know that it's just the, the amount of light. But humans, I mean, I've, I've often said, I don't think people should live this far north. <laughs> it's stupid. We were in this great place. We were hanging out in Africa. We're like, you know, we should leave and go somewhere where it's not warm. Yeah, that, that? yeah, we should leave. There's only like 5,000 of us in the whole world, but we should probably leave. It's an odd choice, I'm just saying it. Many of our ancestors made. There are female male differences in depression. Uh, more women are depressed than men. That's pretty cross cultural, too. So. Hmm. How can we explain that? <laughs> well, Choices that the people make who carry the babies are biologically a lot more important. consequential to those of us who don't carry babies. Because more care for them, you know? So that, I've heard that played up as a, as a possible reason. I'm not sure I buy that, but sure. So why is it so common? Well, first of all, the disconnect between the EEA and today. Oh, I'm sorry. It goes, yeah. If um, the, the um, more women get depressed, like the- At least you're diagnosed with it, for sure, yes. Way more. So um, how come the, the rate of suicide is higher in males than women? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to we're going to talk a little bit about suicide because it's something we can actually look at suicide notes and see what the people's motivations are. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I can have, I have an answer to that. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. Potential project for somebody. So the disconnect between the EA and now is, is one possible, I think probably the biggest reason. Here. What worked then don't work now. It's also the idea of, it used to be that you had much more of a support network, right? If we lived in hunter-gatherer groups of between 30 and 50 people, and we did that for a very long time, everybody around here is your cousin, and I don't mean like we're, I know we're all one people, and I've said, we're no more than, at the very most, we're each other's 26 cousins, and I can almost guarantee you that's way smaller among all of us in this room. 
because this is not a random sample of people. And there's things that were similar in, so it's probably much more similar. So we had a bigger support system. We just don't have that many relatives close by. The idea that I mentioned is the idea of jobs. That's weird. We, there were no jobs yet. Well, your job might be you and the guys are going to go kill something for us to eat, or you guys will go gather us some nuts and fruits, whatever. But it's not like what I do, or what any of you do who work, or have worked, or whatever. People did not evolve to sit with headphones on for eight hours a day, taking calls from people. They just didn't. Right? There weren't people making phone calls saying they, for technical support on their clubs and stones. It just wasn't a thing. I'm sorry, the new operating system doesn't work on this stick. I thought that was funnier than obviously you did. Um, power isn't visible or as visible anymore. One of the nice things about being in a small group and everybody knows everybody is I know that you run the, the situation and if I challenge you, it's going to be a problem for me. It's harder in the world, isn't it? It's hard, like now, to know who's in charge. Yes, I can say government, blah, blah, blah. But let's think about other situations. The sort of social capital people have that isn't obvious. We don't wear rank insignia or special hats or something. We all just, and I like it that way, by the way. But for a very long time, there were pretty clear hierarchies in these groups that we were in. That, that's gone. Or not gone, it's a lot less. We also compare, we used to compare, let's pretend we were a hunter-gatherer group 200,000 years ago. I'm not comparing myself to people that are you know, physically perfect looking. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I wish I could be more like, I don't know. Oh, Steve Jobs. No, of course not. But people do that, don't they? So maybe that, it's like, oh, I'm a loser because I don't have 8 million Instagram followers. Brothers' dogs have over 10,000 Instagram followers. They get free dog food. He's got dog influencers, my brother. If you don't think that's weird, I don't think you know what weird is. Well, my dogs aren't as good as his dogs. His dogs, I'm depressed. I don't have any dogs. I have Instagram, it's just for pictures of food. Anyway, maybe depression is simply negotiation. You've got all this family and friends around you. Maybe it's a way of negotiating with them to help you. And again, this isn't, I'm not trying to downplay it, if it probably sounds like I am. I'm not trying to downplay depression. I'm trying to look for explanations from, from our past. This actually really nicely explains postpartum depression. Oh, you know how I'll get some help with raising this kid? Maybe I'll not do anything for a while. <laughs> That'll help. And again, this is, these are conscious decisions people were making. These are pretty new ideas. And the idea of it being some kind of negotiation is evolutionarily a pretty novel idea. 
there's some ideas. Uh, the biggest thing here, I think, is the disconnect between EEA and today. And that gives us, we just aren't supposed to live in this world. And I don't just mean because there's snow on the ground outside, which makes me want to break things. I mean because we live in a world where we can have hundreds and hundreds of friends. Okay. Speaking of suicide, Okay, this is also again going to be a sad one. This can't be group selection because you know group selection is silly. Because if it's like I'm helping the group, well, being selfish beats helping the group every single time, right? So it can't be group selection. Is it kin selection, helping my family? That's different because they share genes with me. Um, suicide notes actually reflect this. So people seeing themselves as a burden. So when you look at the content of suicide notes, you can often see people talking about how they're a burden, um, that they're not doing anything useful in their lives, that kind of thing. The male-female difference isn't explained by this, so I don't know the answer to that. So let's, let's leave the really, really bad thing where we get death. Let's just talk about something fun like anxiety disorders. And phobias. Phobias are great because they're the greatest um, success story of psychotherapy. You literally can cure phobias. That's a thing. And it takes like five sessions. Like if you have somebody who knows what they're doing, you can get rid of a phobia. Kind of great. Systematic sensitization, it just works. Phobias are actually, they seem to be learned, they can be learned by observation. You can watch a parent or a good friend being afraid of something, you'll become, and again, this isn't just afraid, this is irrationally afraid, right? I had an old student uh, back in Newfoundland who was afraid of sharks. She was afraid of sharks because of movies she'd seen. She would not go swimming because she was afraid of sharks in Newfoundland. It's not full of sharks. Unless like, you know, the San Jose Sharks are playing an exhibition game in St. John's or something, there's no sharks. She grew up in a place called Rocky Harbor, Newfoundland. If you look that up on a map, you'll see there's not a lot of sharks there. It's not in, you know, the Pacific, or unless it even gets further down the Atlantic. But, and I mean definitely afraid to the point where she would, be, you, you couldn't talk about sharks or anything. You said shark, she'd get, you could watch her, not have an anxiety attack, but you could watch her pupils. And I'm not saying that someone didn't, and it wasn't me, but I will say that I watched as her boyfriend cut out pictures of sharks and just put them in all her books. And then I watched her in class. I should have told her I didn't. I was a jerk. I mean, she immediately she said, who did that? I said, Leo did. Oh, okay. He's going to pay for that. That's a phobia, right? I don't like sharks either. If I saw a shark and I was swimming, I would leave the water. If I see a shark that has a higher number over its head than I have in, in Assassin's Creed, I avoid the shark. I'm playing Assassin's Creed. Anyway. 
It's sensible to be afraid of sharks if they're right there. It's not sensible to be afraid of sharks if I say shark. Right? People don't like spiders, but it's not, it's not being a, but somebody who actually has a spider phobia is afraid of the TV, of the movie Spider-Man. Okay, that's the level I'm talking about here. That's clearly maladaptive. And it's learned. You're off learned. Nobody's afraid of houses. Nobody's afraid of cars. Now again, I'm afraid of a car coming at me at 100 miles an hour. That's scary. That's sensible. But I don't look outside and go, ah, car! <laughs> right? No one does that. You've got a good laugh, though. You weren't drinking something and I wrecked your computer. You didn't have to spit out any computer. No, okay, good. Nobody's afraid of moms. Again, you can be afraid of your own mom. Yeah, yeah I think we're all a little bit. But it's not afraid of her. Like, if I showed you a picture of your mom, you know your heart doesn't start beating fast and you don't have a panic attack, right? The sensible fear, it's like when you're, when you're 14 and you come in and you see your mom and you've been drinking, you're afraid of her, but that's sensible. You know why? Because she's gonna, you know, by the way, as an aside, as a parent, we always know when you've been drinking. Because we've all been drinking before. And we know, you know what we mostly do? Yeah, whatever. Kids safe, fine. <laughs> we'll let it go. They always know. They've been drinking, they're smoking. You're not that clever when you're 16. <laughs> Wait till you have kids. You'll, you're going to go, oh boy, I did that too. That was transparent. <laughs> so people are afraid of sharks and snakes. Sharks and snakes are, can kill you. But snakes in Canada can't kill you. Well, there's one kind of snake. Water snake, but it's extremely rare. But if I, you saw a garter snake, I bet there are people in this room, if there was a snake there, it would freak out. I think I would probably be a little concerned as why there was a snake on the floor. Get these snakes off this plane. I, of course, have removed some of the words from that line in that movie. But people are afraid of flying. People aren't afraid of airplanes, per se, even if they've been through a war, typically. They don't have a fear, re they, they may have a fear reaction, but not a, I see an airplane, I have a panic attack. That's the kind of level I'm talking about here. Being, being afraid of being really high up in the air, that's talk about a disconnect from the EEA. Right? Very rarely were you 10,000 meters in the air 200,000 years ago. This wasn't a thing. <laughs> okay. So now we'll switch to something even grosser. Let's talk about psychopathy, sociopaths, whatever. This actually might be a reproductive strategy. It's only going to be successful if it's extremely rare. Right. So it's a lack of shame or guilt. I think a lot of people have been watching. Um, if you look at, well, there's that. Uh, Dahmer miniseries, it's on Netflix, which is stylized, but it's not bad. Uh, there's a lot of different sort of quote, true crime things you can look at. And you see people who are horrible. I don't mean like, you know, in a fit of rage, someone kills somebody. That's how most murders work. I mean like the weird pre-planned drive around in a van kind of murder. 
right? Paul Bernardo, Carla Hamalka, that kind of stuff. They, they don't have shame or guilt, two really important sort of social emotions we all have. And what they're doing is they play on reciprocal altruism. We're hooked up in a lot of respects to do reciprocal altruism. Our whole existence is like that, as I've mentioned before. One of the reasons, evolutionarily, why we all look so different, even though we're all so closely related, is probably so we can keep track of these things. I can keep track of when you've been nice to me, or when you have been nice to me, you can do the same. Because of reciprocal altruism, we have this sort of, our default is be nice. And then if someone is not nice, you're not nice back. But how rarely, like, are you ever the person that just, you would walk by, you would just knock them over? No, no, you need to, sorry. Okay, we go to the white people, hold the door now and then. We all do that. But maybe I can play on this. This is going to be a case where this has this is only going to work as a reproductive strategy. So to get a partner. If it's extremely rare. Maybe this gives these folks an outlet, and I don't mean that's good. I mean, you've heard I've heard this. I don't think I buy it. Data, you want to understand it, suggest this. You hear this a lot. I'm not sure I like that. Any questions about that? Or anything else so far? Had some good ones so far. This is good. All right, let's move on. I know a lot about this. My son's autistic. Uh, by the way, you might say, well, what about person first language? He prefers being called autistic, not being a person with autism. I'm honoring my son's choice. That's what I'm going to use. Um, he doesn't have that, that's for sure. He's got maybe too much, but he's not very good at it. <laughs> he's not as bad as he was. He's, you know, he's so that's one of the things that's characterized by a repetitive behavior, which can also be repetitive. Um, Vocal behavior, it's called echolalia, so they just say the same thing over and over again. I can tell when my son is stressed because he says certain things. And he just says them over and over and over and over. And so I can tell if he's in a, if something's troubling. Now, very often he'll just tell me that something's bothering him. But if I hear him say, what's going on? Usually it's repeating lines from movies and books. And he'll just walk, walk around the house saying the same thing over and over. But there's also skimming, that's this kind of thing. I've asked him before, why do you do this? And his reply is always, because I'm autistic, which is not, and he said, that's not really an explanation. The best explanation I've heard is because this is an executive functioning disorder, we all know where our hands are. That's reminding you of where parts of your body are. That's an explanation I've heard. Kind of like it. Uh, fixation on character some characteristic or something. Uh, you can ask my son. Yeah, he's working out with the in college, so I'm not going to interrupt him. Uh, I could have called him and asked him about any plane crash in the history of plane crashes. He literally knows every single plane crash to the point of he knows who, the names of the people flying the planes and what caused them. And I don't know why. 
that's what he's interested in, but it's one of the things he's really, 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 really interested in. His favorite TV show used to be that show Mayday, Air Crash Investigations, you ever seen that? The cool thing is that's narrated by a guy with the high school book. So I actually contacted him, and my son has an old script, which was kind of great. And then, of course, my son's immediately emailing him, you should do the following plane crashes on your show. It's like, I'm not the executive producer, I do the narration. Uh, as long as developmentally developmental challenged people who are autistic, um, that percentage is kind of dropping. It's not really dropping, it's just that we're getting better at diagnosing ASD. And I've had students who uh, at the university who are autistic. I have a friend who, who's a former student who's autistic, and he actually has a ball cap that says, I'm autistic, what's your excuse? Which is just the greatest thing. I find that hilarious. So, what's the evolutionary argument? Where the hell did this come from? Okay, this is the notion that we have a theory of mind module, which we probably do, that makes complete sense. A theory of mind is the idea of knowing how other people think. Basically, reading others' minds. It's not really reading their minds, but it's knowing how other people think. Right? I don't have to guess that the way, how to interact with other people, because I know how they're going to react. I have theory of mind. I know how your mind works. I don't know everything that's inside it, but I know roughly how you're going to behave in a given situation. I don't have to be told how to behave in a lot of situations. Some people may disagree with that, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, again, thinking back to that student I've had before, I remember once he, I think it was just after he finished his honors. And I shook hands with him, and he just kept shaking my hand. And I said, there's a rule, I'm going to teach you a rule. One, two, three, four, hand in your pocket. And he said, thank you, that's very useful. Because he didn't know how long to shake hands for. You and I know that if I do, one of us eventually gets too long. It's like, okay, that's weird, and we both laugh. Normally it's like, yep, yeah, thank you. And little tiny kids don't have theory of mind, right? That, that module isn't matured enough yet. So when you ask a two-year-old, two-year-old, it's let's say you're in a house, and so there's a wall, and right along here, there's all kinds of scribbles on the wall, and the kid is sitting there holding a marker. And the kid's two and a half, and you walk up and you say, "Did you do that?" And what do they say? No. You look at the little, you're holding the marker. You have black marker all over your hands, also all over your mouth, which means you've been eating it. And there's lines on the wall. Did you do it? No. Because they can't lie. Right? You're behind the seat with a two and a half year old. This is one of their great hiding spots. Behind the curtains. Just like this. And you find them, and they're amazed that they can do look what kind of magic! my amazing hiding spot and say, well, your, half your body was visible. And you show them. And they get it. They say, okay, I get it. They say, hide again. You know what they do? They'll right back there. They'll never find me now. You found me again? How did that work? And it's not that kids are stupid. They just don't know how other people's minds work. 
They hit about three and a half, uh, that changes. That's when they can lie there very good at lying because they haven't learned how to lie yet. So they'll say when they draw on the wall, who did it? Oh, uh, the dog did it. And you might look at them and go, the dog can't draw. I remember looking at my younger sister. She was covered in icing sugar. We actually have a photo of it somewhere. She'd eaten like eight donuts. She was like two and a half. And I remember my mom saying, Stephanie, did you eat the donuts? And she said, no. And then we, my mom went about the camera and took a picture because it was so funny. The chance of Steph listening right now is slim, but if you are, hi, Steph. Told that story. It's on the open internet, ha ha. But then you get older, they, can, they, they don't know how to lie up with a camera. The worst thing you can do on an airplane is get into a game of peekaboo with a one-year-old. Because you're going to be doing it all flight. So the theory of mind module is either absent or it's not working properly. There's the idea of the hyper-male brain as well. So it's extremely spatial. This is an idea that um, is mostly uh, connected with psychologists. Simon Baron Cohen, who is brother, or sorry, uh, cousins of Seth Baron Cohen, the comedian who plays Borat. Borat makes us laugh. His cousin is a really well known experimental psychologist at Cambridge. So he talks about the hypermale brain. This notion of being so analytical that it's a problem. So much looking for patterns and it's a problem. And it's in quotes here because it doesn't mean it's a male characteristic. It's just, it's more common in. That kind of thing is more common in humans. Ah, it turns out, in fact, kids of scientists, oh, gee, I wonder why that happened, are more likely to be autistic than kids of non-scientists. Boys are much more likely to be autistic girls. That said, girls can be autistic too, and it's a real um, barrier sometimes for, for girls getting diagnosed as being autistic. Because when girls are autistic, it's a boy, and that's ridiculous and not true. But it's more likely for boys. So the notion here is either the theory of mind module isn't working, or that's part of it, and also the sort of super analytical to a point of it being distracted. Okay. Schizophrenia, or as my psychopathology prophet Western said, we call it schizophrenia. He rolled his R's with one word. He is not from a country or a language, language group that, you, that rolls their R's. He just rolled his R's twice. He also wore a leather suit a lot, which was a little weird. I'm not going to say who it is because there's an off chance that he would find out. And I'm saying this, but he was, because he still works. Why would he be listening? It's Richard Neufeld. He always said, schizophrenia. Great prop. Well, it was the 80s. People had leather suits, I guess. Still was a little bit of an off chance, I'm just saying. So, the schizophrenia, sorry, well, look at that way too. We hear a lot about schizophrenia and creativity, right? Well, they're all creative people. 
artists, whatever, scientists. Um, I got maybe not written here, so I guess I'm just written maybe. Because maybe not implies the maybe yes. You don't have to say maybe. But anyway. Hmm. Data are at best equivocal. Like sometimes people find higher scores in creativity tests than people who are not uh, for schizophrenics than non-schizophrenics. But then sometimes they don't. So it's, it's hard to say. However, when you look at their relatives, schizophrenics brothers and sisters are more creative using creativity tests, which I'm not entirely sold on, but you know, whatever, than non-schizophrenics brothers and sisters. So this could be, again, too much of something good. Right? Too much of a, I mean, it's not a great thing, but yeah. What would a creativity test be like? Okay, remote associates test is, is the classic. So, how are these things related? Heroin, cigarettes, nuns. How are those three things related? The words heroin, cigarette, and nun. N-U-N. Habit. Smoking cigarettes is a habit. You have a heroin. If you're addicted to heroin, you've got a drug. You have a habit, and nuns were a habit. There's, in fact, a whole game show called Only Connect from the UK where they have like eight things put together. It's really kind of makes you sad because you're looking, I couldn't have done that. But that's one way of saying The other way it's, the way, in fact, the thing is that doesn't really, it's, it's fun and it, it's, it's led to various board games and game show. I like looking at it, when you take a look and you say to people, is this person creative or not? I don't, it's not a great measure, but we can all agree that Einstein was creative. We can all agree that Salvador Dali was creative. We can all agree that Paul McCartney's creative. Uh, we can all agree that so you look at certain people and then look at their relatives compared to other people. That's that's how a lot of this stuff ends up getting done. So there are there are pencil and paper creativity. The thing is, they don't all stay. They should all correlate with each other, right? They don't. So that's kind of a problem. But that's the remote associates test. That's called. So there's probably something there. I'm not really sure. Probably something. So the thing is, all these different ways of looking at disorders, well, or have some things in common. I think the big thing is the disconnect between the EEA and today for many of them. But there's also things like a malfunctioning module, that kind of thing. Or the absence of a module. So with my son, sometimes I have to say to him, do you think people like it when you do this? And he can certainly look at me and go, no. So he can reason it out, but for us it's automatic. So having to teach someone that you, have to, you should look people in the eye when you talk to them, that's something that we all just do. Now sometimes that's so uncomfortable when people say they're autistic that they just can't do it. And that's why, you know, you accommodate people by saying, no, you don't have to do that, whatever. That student I told you about who went to school here and he was, he was autistic and he's still a friend of mine. Uh, and 
he was in class once, and I was handing back statistics quizzes. And someone, I wrote two people. <sighs> when I was explaining, picking it up. And this guy turned around and said, you know, if you were quiet and paid attention, maybe you'd do better. And I looked at him and I went, can you not battle I can say, you have to, I, I, I wouldn't even be that direct. The cool thing was, he went, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> and that was, it never happened again. His slides on his presentations always had weird little animated gifts on them because he thought they were funny. And I remember at one point when he was going to present his honors, he said, the dancing Jesus gifts have to go. You're presenting this to 100 people. No one really wants to see Homer Simpson run across your slides. I said, as, as fun as I think it is, you probably lose points. Oh, okay. Never did it again. <laughs> it's, it's, right. So it's those things that, that there's a module that's just not working properly. So it's the EEA disconnect. It's all those things I talked about at the beginning, and they aren't mutually exclusive explanations. That went kind of quicker than I thought it would today. Um, this stuff is early days. Is it going to help us with treatments? I don't know, but it might. I think one of the key things when you look at something like, like autism is realizing if you say, okay, this person doesn't have the sort of the theory of mind module that we have, but I know that I can teach someone just facts about the world. That one, two, three, four, put your hand in your pocket can be a rule someone can remember. They're not rules we had to learn, they just happen. Right? I, I constantly tell my son to be quieter. That's a lot. That's something he hears a lot. That's a lot. And he always says, oh, sorry, Dad. It's like, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Just don't, don't, do, 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 we, do the neighbors have to hear what we're having for dinner? Just keep it quiet. And his response is almost always the same. Sorry, okay. sort of all in the head, like you hear that, eh? About people who have some disorder. Oh, that's just all in your head. Like, oh, well, that's like saying, I broke my leg four years ago. Three years ago? Almost three years ago. Oh, it's all in your leg. Well, yeah, I broke it. So if you say to somebody, it's all in your head, they, I think if someone says that to you about some mental health issue you're having, your response should be, yes, I'm well aware of that, thank you. I know where my brain is. It's disordered thinking, and I have to change it. But yeah, of course it's all in my head. But not in the popular parlance thing, which is like, oh, you can just get over it. Just get over it. Oh, come on, get over it. That's bad, that's bad therapy. You show up, and the, the therapist goes, ah, it's all in your head. Get over it. 100 bucks. <laughs> if that was the case, I'd be a therapist right now. There's a lot of reasons I'm not a therapist. One of them is I think I'd yell a lot. I don't know if that'd be very useful. So it doesn't make it anybody morally or ethically better or worse, right? It just is, and we can maybe understand some of these things if we look at the evolutionary, potential evolutionary explanations. Thoughts about this stuff? We have done really super early today. I didn't know the clock is, the high clocks I was going to move it, but I can't. I can't do that. 
Oh good, now that I've done that. <laughs> Questions, comments, criticisms, kudos, and a little hard cut sound. Nothing. Alright, see you later. So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. Uh, I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to, uh, 
put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.